Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Joy 99.7 FM. Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is the Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Football fans among you might just remember me, or at least remember this from the Euros. I just couldn't help myself. We had beaten England 2-1, and of course I was going to shout and scream. It was a huge moment in Icelandic history after all. But I'm not the first to get caught up in the moment. Remember this guy? Winston Churchill, Lady Diana, Maggie Thatcher, can you hear me? Your boys took a hell of a beating. I'm Gudmundur Benediktsson, and over the next hour, we are going to celebrate nine decades of commentary. It was January the 22nd, 1927, and in a little hut, which looked more like a garden shed, the BBC pioneered its first full radio commentary of a league football match. 
It was for the Division 1 class between Arsenal and Sheffield United at the Highbury Ground in North London. And it became the first league match in which fans got a chance to listen to a game from the comfort of their own home. The BBC had just been given their royal assent to broadcast live from sporting events. Professor Richard Haynes is an academic specialising in media at the University of Stirling in Scotland. The week before, they'd done a broadcast from a rugby union game. This is the national programme. I were taking you back again to Twickenham for the remainder of the commentary on the international match. May I say that this is the first broadcast running commentary on any sport that has been given in this country. It was revelatory at the time. It was a new experience and football was, was an obvious candidate to you know, showcase to its uh, brand new audience. That first commentary sadly doesn't exist anymore, but similar ones from the early days do, like this one from the 1930s. Almost on the centre line. No, Chris will come up. He's going to take it. Five. Going to drop it in the middle of the goal. There it goes. Slap in the middle of the goal. Seven. Ken's head is there. Going to wear. Eight. Ball comes out of Britain. Professor Hines, uh, perhaps you can explain a bit about what is happening there. Sure. And for Britain to get it again, on to McMullen. McMullen back to Marshall. Marshall across the field to Busby. Now five. Busby gets his head to it, bounces on his head, runs forward, cuts Three. in the middle, <coughs> puts it right through. Where Heard has it. Heard glides it across to the right. One. To Tosland. Tosland holds it, centers backwards. Comes on to, oh, dear, oh dear, Marshall, taking a flying, last despairing crash on the run. So, this is the first time I hear this, and uh, it's strange to listen to it. Yeah, so, uh, to modern ears, obviously, it sounds quite peculiar, because you've got two people speaking. One is identifying the players and, and what they're doing with the ball, uh, while the other is interjecting and uh, just saying a square number, you know, a no, you know number two, number eight, or whatever. Um, but also some, perhaps, uh, technical things about, you know, it's a goal kick, and so on and so forth. So what's happening there is, is the attempt really to help the listener visualise where the play is moving, who's got the ball, what they're doing with it. In the Radio Times, they published a grid system broken up into eight squares, um, numbered one to eight. Uh, and then Dr Watson, as, as they became known, like Watson to Sherlock Holmes, he, he was providing the spatial awareness, I suppose, for, for the listener to say where which box the ball was going into. So um, from square one to square two to square three and then back to square one, which is, um, many believe, where that phrase came from. Now, over, over time, what happened, the idea of having that technique began to be criticised in, in public because it, it was seen to be too clunky. And as commentators became more confident, I suppose, in their narrative of play, then the need for the square grid and a second person, a Dr Watson, interjecting became less and less. And did it change the football experience, so, um, maybe overnight? Well, I think the, the radio provides a, a quite dramatic competition to the existing press and that battle waged on for many many years and it was a major concern of the governing bodies of sport so the football association the football league were worried that live commentaries from sport would affect the attendance at, at football so again there were certain bans that were introduced uh, by the football association football league over the years and also the beginnings of the idea that broadcasters had to pay for access into uh, football stadiums and other other sporting arenas which the press never had to do i must say the commentary it was quite good Veteran British football commentator John Watson. By the time I started, of course, the idea of the squares had gone. But I was always advised 
to always tell people exactly where the ball was, you know, halfway inside the Everton half on the far side of the field. And that's well, necessary in radio. I think it is in radio, and I also think it's necessary to repeat the score at regular intervals because people are turning on, uh, and probably turning off, um, all the time, especially in cars. So I, I was always instructed to give the score every two minutes, you know. Mm. 16 minutes gone here at Goodison Park. It's Everton 1, Manchester City 0. And, and to continue to do that throughout the half. Other types of commentary go back even further. It was in America where sports programming first took hold in the 1920s. The first actual coverage of a sports event was in Pittsburgh and it was a boxing match which was on KDKA on the 11th of April 1921. Veteran Australian sport broadcaster John McCoy has studied the history of commentary in different parts of the world. I don't know that it was an actual full broadcast as we would imagine, a blow-by-blow description, but probably more reports and more talking about the fight itself rather than actually calling it. What we also do know is that the the first broadcast of a heavyweight title fight was between Jack Dempsey and Georges Carpentier. But the funny thing about that broadcast was that the actual commentator wasn't at the fight. One of the technicians who was there had set up the, the landline or whatever they had in those days at the fight, and he just sent a couple of brief sketches back down the line and the actual broadcaster was back in the studio in New Jersey and virtually called the fight as such from what he'd received or the reports from his technician who was at the fight. As radio spread around the world, cricket commentary arrived in Australia. But it wasn't quite the real thing. I have been asked to explain to you how the synthetic ball-by-ball descriptions are broadcast by the national stations. This is how the BBC told the story about the Australians' synthetic commentary. Let us follow the course of a typical message as received in the Commission's Sydney studios only a minute after the actual happening on the test ground in England. This cable is taken down in duplicate and immediately amplified by cricket experts who fill in details regarding field placements on model cricket fields for the commentator, whom you can now see broadcasting his description from the amplified cable information. As the shot is made, the effects man, who has in front of him a copy of the cable message, drops the needle on an effects record, and listeners hear the applause of the crowd as the shot reaches the boundary. And now, let us listen in. It's quite extraordinary when you listen to it. And it's easy to understand how people would have believed that it was an actual live broadcast when, in fact, it was all coming out of a studio in Sydney. What happened was that there would be cables sent from England saying what the score was and who had scored the runs. And in a studio back in Australia, the commentators would then make up a description of what happened. And they had a, a couple of little sound effects in the studio. One was a little piece of wood. And whenever they'd say, the ball bowled, and it's, they'd strike the little piece of wood to give the effect of ball hitting bat. And then would say, and it's gone, 
wherever. It's gone past point or whatever. It's being chased out to the boundary and they've come back for a second. And so they would make up the entire thing. It may not have been actually as it happened. The only problem for them was that quite often the actual telegrams would be delayed somewhat. And so they had to make up things such as, oh, there's been a break in play or there might be light rain falling or whatever, covering until the next telegram arrived and they would continue. As far as Australian sports broadcasting is concerned, it is always looked upon as one of the, the actual masterpieces in Australian broadcasting, how they actually did it for the full series. They should start any second now. And yes, there they go. They're all. The beautiful start. The field spread out right across the course. Keeping up with the sporting action can be particularly challenging in horse racing. You have to be quick and accurate all at the same time, especially in a short race. The St. Ledger Stakes is one of the classic British horse races. Here are the closing stages of the race, which was being held at Newmarket in 1943. Kingsway is coming in, straight deals on the outside, and they're coming down to the dip with Nasrullah there, for uh, long to go, and it's Yumidad on the inside with Ribbon, Ribbon beating Yumidad and heading both. My very first memories would be going with my father to a race course called Pakenham, a provincial race course outside Melbourne. Australian horse racing commentator Tim McGrath. And I was only about four or five, but I can remember being fascinated by the guy who was up in the stand calling the race. It seemed to me a, a really difficult job, but one that they seem to master and I very often used to go and try and get near the commentary box and see what they were doing whether they were doing it by mirrors or whether it was a bit of magic or something but they were just uh, guys who had a, an extraordinary talent for being able to identify horses interpret a race and then relay it to their listeners I think the first recorded commentaries were in the mid-twenties ahead of uh, UK racecourses. There were many, many innovative people involved in it and they had to be because in the early 30s the racecourses started to ban commentators on the course. There was only one commentator and that was the, the guy who was doing the racecourse announcing and uh, possibly the ABC but they didn't want outside commercial commentators at all and uh, they used to go to extraordinary lengths, these people, to actually broadcast the racing. They would be outside the course on the top of houses, up trees. There was even one who at Pakenham went up in a hot air balloon and was shot down by uh, the clerk of the course who didn't like uh, what he was doing up there. There were many commentators who were also all-round performers. They could sing, they could dance, they could do comedy. And it was almost a showbiz-type presentation, these very descriptive race commentaries, always with a bit of colour and a bit of pizzazz about them. You know, these early commentators, they were very, very good broadcasters. There was two that were very distinctive. Australian commentator John McCoy. One was a fellow by the name of Ken Howard, and his nickname was Magic Eye. He had this incredible ability to pick winners in very tight photo finishes. And his favourite saying was, if they two horses hit the line, he would say, it's a photo, but you can bet London do a brick on that such and such a horse has won. And there was um, another broadcaster in Melbourne by the name of Bert Bryant. 
if a horse was starting to tire, he'd say, oh, the jockey of so-and-so, <laughs> he's called for a cab. He had a had a list of them, you know, Bert, and he could just seem to call on them. He knew the exact time to use them. And some of those expressions have uh, become Australian broadcasting folklore. Football, cricket and horse racing were soon the subject of commentary on a regular basis around the world. But other sports got in on the act too. Most sport commentators have very distinctive voices and styles. One of them is Murray Walker, who began commentating on motorsports for the BBC in 1948. I've always had a very strong and powerful voice, and I've been lucky in that I was commentating on a very harsh, aggressive, noisy sport. And I have a harsh, they told me, aggressive and noisy voice. I commentated uh, on the Shelsley Walsh Hill Climb in 1948. It was a mixed meeting for cars and bikes. My father had been supposed to be doing it, but he had to drop out at the last moment. So they put the chap who was going to be doing the public address on the BBC, and they said to my father, you got us into this fix, can you get us out of it? And he said, well, why don't you give the boy a go? I know he wants to try. And it won't do any harm if he doesn't do it very well because everybody that he's talking to is there at the event. And I did it and I knew that there was one person I wanted to get through to more than anybody else, Jim Pestridge, who was the producer for the BBC. So I commentated virtually non-stop in a situation where people could see what I was talking about didn't really need all the information I was giving them. But I got an audition with the BBC... And the rest, as they say, is history. Let's have a listen to one of Murray's earliest commentaries, the Grand Prix at Silverstone in May 1949. I think it's just passing you now. I see a red streak going down there, so over to you for the final description. Yes, Max, I'm sorry. It was Ashmore. It's liable to be a bit confusing. Uh, De Graffenried is now taking Stowe Corner for the last time this afternoon. He bounces a bit as he goes round with his yellow wheel spinning, and he's motoring as he goes down to the chicane. He looks back. When I started... Motorsport had virtually no coverage on television and not very much on radio and the facilities were pretty minimal. Nowadays, of course, the commentators have got the television picture to look at, which I didn't have. In in my days, you just started talking and stopped when the rest stopped. I said to the boss, look, um, I'm keen on sport. I would like to have a go at commentating. So it's all right, do the next one. <laughs> Veteran football commentator Gerald Sinstad has been a commentator since he was 19. He got into it after answering an advert for British forces broadcasting in the late 1940s. They would build your little scaffolding platform which would lift you sort of six or eight feet so that you were over the heads of the people lining the touchline. You had a microphone and a and a van and a cable to the van, and that was it. Didn't have a producer, didn't have any headphones or anything. You just simply went ahead. It was pretty basic. <laughs> and I went out to do this game, and the pitch had been cleared of snow, but it was like a board, like that, and the ball bounced everywhere. Now, that could have been the end of my broadcasting career if that had been a goalless draw. 
I would not have survived. I wouldn't have been able to cope with a goalless draw. What actually happened was it finished 7-6 in extra time. The game carried me. I didn't have to carry the game. There was nobody there to teach you. I mean, we, so there were four of us. Kept the station going from 6.30 in the morning till midnight, seven days a week. So you were on air for hours on end, and that was wonderful. You were in front of a microphone, and however bad you were, they were not going to sack you because they hadn't got anybody else. In the United States, sport is very much associated with education. The way that most fans got their information about the teams was through their local university sports announcer on the radio. Tim Ellis has been commentating on baseball, American football, and basketball in Mississippi for 40 years. One of my favorite of all kind used to do the Green Bay Packers. He was a guy named Ray Scott, and he did not talk a lot. But he could, with a deep voice, say, number 86, Boyd Dowler, with the catch for the Packers. And just the way he said it was something that people hung on to. He was a man of few words that painted a really good picture. And, and there were a lot of great ones. At Mississippi State, Jack Crystal was iconic. Bulldogs give it to Norwood, who breaks it inside the 30 to the 25 to the 20. He's racing to the 10 to the 5. Touchdown, Norwood! Unbelievable. There's a flag down in the end zone. If they call a celebration penalty on this, I'll shoot them. Sometimes the radio announcer was uh, maybe more important as far as the fans were concerned than the players on the teams themselves because that radio announcer was actually a part of that program and they identified with him when they identified with their teams. Three, two, one, bingo. The Bulldogs officially are the Western Division SEC champions and will head for the championship ball game. Jack Crystal uh, always told me that uh, we tell the story. The fan understands about his team from the broadcaster. And, and he felt that was a very, very significant thing to do and that the story needed to be true. Matkin gets to the end zone, scores! And the Bulldogs win the ball game in overtime, winning it 43-41. to 41. Wrap this one in Mississippi State, maroon and white. Uh, he was a guy who had great phraseology. Uh, he would come up with some very unique ways of saying things. And when you heard him, you knew exactly who it was every time. Three, two, one. Bingo. Mississippi State, 17. Alabama, 16. The eighth-ranked team in the country has just gone down to defeat. And goalposts are going down on both ends of the field. It's really become a business over the last 30 years. Everyone used to see uh, pro football on Sunday afternoon, but now they can watch college sports almost every day of the week, and college football, college basketball has become huge. College baseball has become big. Women's basketball has become big. It is now so national that uh, almost anywhere you go, you're going to find a college sports fan. All the legendary commentary moments have great stories. One of those involves baseball in America in October 1951. Brooklyn-based fan Lawrence Goldberg asked his mother to tape record the radio broadcast while he was at work. It was the shot heard around the world. It was an amazing moment in baseball. His son, CNN journalist Steve Goldberg, takes up the story. Bobby Thompson up there swinging. He's got two out of three, a single and a double, and Billy Cross is playing him right on the third base line. 
My dad was 26. He grew up as a New York Giants fan. This was a, a rivalry between the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And it was third day of the uh, three-day playoff series. He had to go to work. He wanted to hear the end of the game. He had a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and he set it up next to a radio, and he told his mom that when the bottom of the ninth inning started to hit the record button. When he got home, he heard what he had, which everybody else in New York who'd been listening to the radio or watching TV knew at the time, which was the Giants won the pennant. The radio announcer for the radio station that he set the radio to, WMCA, AM 570, is um, Russ Hodges. And it was Russ Hodges' call that he caught on tape. And it's Russ Hodges going, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. He's just, he's just so enthusiastic. So that night, he actually wrote Russ Hodges at the radio station and said, yeah, I don't know if you recorded this, but I did if you're interested in it. And Russ Hodges actually called him back and said, no, we didn't record it. Well, it turned out that my father had the only recording that anybody knew of of that at the time. There is a possibility that there's another recording of it somewhere out there, that some local radio station did run a tape on it. But one of these books that have been written about this has said that if it hadn't been for him and everything coming together the way it did, Bobby Thompson hitting the home run, Russ Hodges making the call, my grandmother pushing the button, we wouldn't remember this the way we do. I'm Gudmundur Benediktsson, and you are listening to Talking Sport. Still to come as we look back on nearly a century of sports commentating. Sir Winston Churchill, Lady Diana, Maggie Thatcher, can you hear me? Plus, the media was waiting for me downstairs at the hotel the morning after. Somehow they found out where I was staying and, and you know, it's not really my thing to be in the spotlight. That's all to come as Talking Sport, 90 years of commentary, continues on the BBC World Service. I'm Gudmundur Benediktsson, and you are listening to 90 years of commentary. Tennis commentary requires a particular type of skill and has evolved hugely over the years. Russell Fuller, commentator for the BBC, joined me. I think this is very near the end. Come, come, sir, Internet, we are going back to 1936 and the final between Britain's Fred Perry and Gottfried von Kram of Germany. And his ball again strikes the taste and rolls over on Tom Kram's side. He must surely be the greatest artist of the taste of live. Advantage Perry. Perry returns short, Tom Kram just gets it back to the corner. And the ball... Von Kram's return pitched over the sideline and was out of court. And so the point goes to Terry and the game and the set and the match. So, Russell, what do you think has changed most over the years? I would say that the commentator allowing the crowd to breathe, to uh, make a noise, to tell you a lot about the match, the use of language, you still need to try and vary your language as much as possible. It's very 
repetitive a tennis match. There you heard the commentator talking about the ball hitting the tape and just rolling over. Just, just little words like that to try and create an image in the listener's mind. What has changed beyond recognition is how excited we all get. They didn't have the same range in their voice. I think that's another advantage for us these days in that you can really drop your voice if it's just before... Andy Murray say is serving for the Wimbledon title. The crowd are hushing and you might really drop your voice so you're almost using a stage whisper and then you have the contrast of really going for it when the match is won and everything seemed to be more monotone, didn't it, in those days? Everything much more on a level. When I'm watching tennis, you know, they're silent. I think the silent is so important. Absolutely, and it makes the commentary, it's what makes the job so special. And the fact you can use that silence too, very reverential almost, the, 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 the mood. And I just think that adds to the magic, particularly on a court like Wimbledon Centre Court. What do you think is so important about the commentary experience? You want to be there, don't you? And you hope that people are imagining how the rally is unfolding in their mind's eye. Federer going cross-court with a forehand. Murray down the line with a forehand. The backhand cross-court with slice from Federer. Murray's coming in towards the net. Here's a lob from Federer. Murray runs back and puts the smash away. Hopefully, the listener is able to follow that in their mind. And if they can, then it's a job well done. Do you remember any funny moments from uh, your commentary? We were on centre court at Wimbledon and letting the uh, the noise of the crowd tell the story. Pause, you can hear the ball being bounced. One or two people clearing their throat in the crowd perhaps and then suddenly you hear this. <sighs> and you're looking around the commentary box and thinking, has one of the other commentators got their dog in here? It sounds like there's a dog panting in the background and no one could work out what it was and we immediately get a fit of the giggles until we finally realise that it was one of the ball boys or ball girls crouching down on a hot day right by the effects microphone. This repeated itself for quite a while until that particular ball boy or ball girl moved position. It's not an easy job being a ball boy, you know. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not, particularly on a hot day. Yeah, exactly when it comes to swimming, perhaps one of the most recognizable voices is Bob Ballard. Bob, uh, in history, any commentating that stands out for you? One springs to mind from 1960, where Anita Lonsborough for Great Britain won the gold in Rome. Uh, unexpectedly, and should we put it this way, the commentator nearly fell into the pool with her. I think she is! Anita Lonsborough's pulling ahead! Can Anita do it? The 19-year-old girl from Huddersfield! One of the first swimming commentaries I ever heard, certainly radio commentaries, was that one. And probably I listened to that and thought, OK, maybe I need to tone it down just a fraction from that. But it was a very exciting moment and he portrayed that very well. Over the years, commentators have helped to popularize sports and to put different parts of the world on the sporting map. Cricket has been the main sport of the Caribbean islands for many years. Cricket here is what soap opera has become to America and Britain, an alternative existence. It is everywhere you look and listen. And good morning. Whenever the touring teams would arrive, everybody was on excited, hoping to see the cricketers. Richard Edwards is a cricket legend turned commentator in the West Indies. I remember as a schoolboy 
riding 14 miles to the airport on a bicycle just to watch the Australians land and then following them back to their hotel. If it happened to be at uh, school days when uh, like Australia or England were playing, but then you, you snuck out of school somehow or the other to, to get into Kensington to watch the cricket. There are still plenty of possibilities, although by all logic, it appears as if it will be Wanderers second, BCL and Empire third, and St. Catherine fifth. The man who arguably did most to put West Indies cricket on the map globally was Tony Kosier. He was actually uh, travelling with our team, the West Indies team, 68-69, and doing commentary in Australia. Still no live television, it was just radio. Everyone would listen to the cricket from, from Australia. Kosier on cricket! He would not let anyone get away with anything where they were attacking the West Indian cricketers. On there, he would just give them a little, a little smart jab there about whatever he thought the real story was and then put them right. Cricket in the West Indies is a very big thing. It's almost uh, followed here with a religious fervour. The West Indies cricket team is the only really unified aspect of West Indian life and it's brought great pride to West Indians. Tony Cozzi was a person that enjoyed life. He liked music. He would know all the words to the, the popular calypsos and sing along with them. And, uh, and whenever cricket was being played and teams were in Australia, England, India, Pakistan, whoever, he would have a beach party and every one of their members were invited. All the journalists that were in the island for the cricket would be invited and they would have some, some rollicking parties at the beach house. Lots of the commentators talk too much. But he would just describe what was happening and then little asides of other things that might be interesting to, to listeners. It was doing in a, night, a day-night match and the full moon was up and the, the, the cameraman panned in on the full moon and Tony Cozy started singing Blue Moon. started to cut my teeth and take first initial steps in your radio commentary was always Tony Cozier. And then when I met Tony Cozier, it was it was huge for me to actually meet this voice that I'd first heard 13, 14, I think it was 74, 75 when the West Indies came to India. That lovely, lovely voice and accent. Commentators can become very popular. In fact, some take on star status. In India, Harsha Bogul is a famous cricket commentator. He began his career with All India Radio at the tender age of 19. We'd actually tune in to All India Radio from well before the match was to start. We'd get the little beep that came along and then the title music came along and then you heard the announcer say we're going to take you to the ground and the commentators are and and I, I must confess I actually dreamt that one day they would call my name. The reception wasn't always very clear and uh, you'd hear the commentator's voice sort of coming through a mix of static and sound effects and suddenly the sound effects went up. You grew tense because you didn't always know if that meant that... Uh, well, someone had got out or someone had hit a boundary so it was very exciting to hear commentary but that was the only option we had 
This is Radio Australia. We only ever heard a little bit of Test Man Special or, uh, or, or Radio Australia if you could cling on to the 25 or 31 metre band. Because we didn't have cricket on television in India during my growing up years. And when it first started appearing on television, it was a bit like uh, watching games through binoculars turn the other way around. And so radio was our, was our only medium and we'd, we'd sit and listen to the radio. What radio also did was it took the game to the far corners because... I mean, I, I grew up in Hyderabad where we only got the odd match. The match happening somewhere else, radio was our, uh, was, was, was our only connect with the cricket world. So it was critical. I think radio played a huge part in transmitting the game in India in the early years. Uh, I enjoyed the cricket commentaries that used to come over the radio, All India Radio. Siris Natkarni is a popular commentator in India. Some of the commentators could make even the most dull and boring game interesting. There was one occasion when... England was playing India, Colin Cowdery and Ken Barrington batting for England and Bapu Natkarni bowling for India. And Cowdery and Barrington just did not want to take any risks whatsoever. It was absolutely horribly boring cricket. It is amazing how they managed to make the game interesting. No, I remember being glued to the darn transistor. I don't know how it was. There was one occasion when Trevor Bailey was uh, batting. He scored... 36 runs in two hours and there was one particular spectator who turned around and said, I loved his batting. Meaning, Trevor Bailey, did you love his batting? Why? He says, oh well, during the period that he was batting, I managed to read 172 pages of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. Comedy styles on television especially have changed completely in the last few years. All across the world, now people want more. When we hear pauses now, we wonder, why is, well, what's happening? Is there, nothing, is there nothing to say there? As you get more experienced, you learn to play the pause a little bit. Not as well as the great Richie Benno, but, but you learn. I think test commentary has migrated enormously towards, towards more rather than towards less. And I sometimes think that, uh, I know Richie would have watched this and said, uh, the times have changed. TV commentary had its first big moments in South Africa in the early 1980s. Heavyweight boxing in South Africa was very, very popular in 1983. And then uh, Gerry Kutsia got the opportunity to fight Michael Dokes in Cleveland, Ohio. SABC commentator Heinrich Marnitz remembers it well. Because of the time lapse, everyone in South Africa was up at 4 o'clock in the morning in front of their television sets because we only uh, introduced television in South Africa in 1976, so it was still a very, very new thing. And to see live boxing, a world title fight on television in South Africa was exceptionally uh, interesting. Yeri Kotsia, nicknamed the Boxburg Bomber, thrilled apartheid South Africa by becoming the country's first world boxing champion. Myself, I was out of my mind because, you know, I had ringside next to this, uh, this belt. What was very strange was about half an hour before we had to do the commentary, there was no equipment for me ready. And, you know, all of a sudden a guy just pitched up there and he put a microphone in front of me and, he, uh, you know, I was on the air. We were in an isolation period of sport during those years. And you can just imagine what it meant for us in South Africa to have the first heavyweight champion of the world and for me to be ringside to be able to do the commentary from America to South Africa it was a very very special moment for me 
Now, apparently, I've got a bit of a reputation these days for going overboard in my commentary. But that's nothing compared to this guy. Lord Nelson, Lord Beaverbrook, Sir Winston Churchill, Sir Anthony I am Arne Scheier. I was a television commentator for 42 years in uh, in Oslo. I was a very good friend of uh, the famous Björge Lillelien. Very popular in Norway for his work for uh, NRK Radio. The match was uh, the 9th of September in 81. When Brian Robson scored for England very early in the match, I said to myself, this is going to be a hammering from the England uh, side. Men then uh, Roger Albertson and Halvar Thoresen scored for Norway and we had a hope of uh, making a draw against the famous lads from England. Sir Winston Churchill, Sir Anthony Eden, Clement Attlee, Henry Cooper, Lady Diana, Lillelien, um, he made this... Um, Seven names from uh, Lord Nelson to Lady Diana. Maggie Thatcher, can you hear me? Maggie Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. Your boys took a hell of a beating. In Norway, we didn't um, react so much to the commentary from uh, Lillelien until it was... um, a reaction in England. Two years before, Norway went to the Olympic football tournament in Moscow. And after the match in Germany, when Norway won won nothing to Germany, he said, Mr. Brezhnev, can you hear me? Are you ready? We are coming to you in 80 for the Olympic tournament. People are still talking about Björge Lillelien and what he did for football. There's something satisfying about beating England at their own game. And I should know, you remember this? And of course, I'm talking about the game between Iceland and England in Nice in the last 16 at the 2016 Euros. I, I think I was only feeling exactly the same as every other Icelander was feeling at the moment because, you know, this was the biggest dream of every Icelander to play against England because, you know, English football in Iceland is is so big, so huge. You know, we've always dreamt of being in the same group with England, in a, but I think we've only played them twice in the friendly games. So this was a dream come true for every Icelander to play against England. I was just doing, doing my job. It was only, I think, you know, the morning after when I realized, of course, that, uh, you know, my celebration went viral. The media was waiting for me downstairs at the hotel. Somehow they found out where I was staying and, and, you know, it's not really my thing to be in the spotlight. For me, the, the players, they were stars and they should be in the spotlight, should have been. Today, you, you know... Uh, there are no easy games anymore for Icelandic football because everybody takes Iceland seriously now in, in football terms. And, and I think it's only five years ago then I didn't believe that I would live to see 
the national team of Iceland playing in the Euros or in the World Cup. But now I'm demanding that we are going to the World Cup next you know, 2018 because of the success uh, in 2016. Football commentary is quite different in different parts of the world. Carlos Artur Arantes dos Santos is 34 and grew up listening to football commentary on the radio in Brazil. Actually, it's a tradition in Brazil. Something that you admire when you are a child. You try to do the same and you never get it because it's something really special. Lá vai Cafu, passa para Ronaldo Luiz, que passa para, para Dunga, passa para Dinho. Dinho olha para o lado e passa para a lateral esquerda, para Alberto Carlos, que passa para a sua vez, para Ronaldinho Gaúcho. Ele vai, ele vai cruzar para cima, vai para cima, dribla, passa no cruzamento, olho no lance, é do... Lu Castro é um jornalista e um futebol fã. Ela diz que um bom comentário precisa de coração. No rádio eu gosto do Nilson César. No rádio eu gosto de Nilson César. Ele traz emoção ao jogo. É como você está when there's a goal, the catchphrase is, and now, goalkeeper, go pick up the ball. It's brilliant. Vai buscar. Vai buscar a bola no fundo do gol. Sensacional, muito bom. In Sao Paulo, we met up with one of Brazil's most respected commentators, Paulo Andrade, as he got to grips with commentating on an international match. Paulo tried to explain the difference between Brazilian and English commentators. There are many differences. I think that here in Brazil, we have a bigger obligation to talk practically the entire game. This is a huge difference. A British commentator, the ball passes for two, three, four players. He is silent. If I did this in Brazil, they would say that I'm boring because they like a commentator that shows emotion. Maybe if I was to commentate in England, people would say, I'm watching the game. You don't need to say that the guy passed with his right foot and that the guy cleared the ball or took a shot with his left foot or that he gave a strong header. But here in Brazil, who is watching demands this from you. It's tiring. South American commentators are famous for shouting Goal! when someone scores. Paulo says it's a long tradition. I don't know where it comes from, but we grow up listening, watching, and in my case as a commentator, doing the long, extensive goal shout. In other South American countries, they do it differently. Go, 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 if I was to do this in Brazil, it would be strange. I hear the British commentators, they recount. Great goal by Cristiano Ronaldo. Here in Brazil, the goal shout is mandatory. It's part of the culture of the Brazilian fans. I commentated on all of the football games in the 2016 Olympics when the Brazilian team won the gold medal which was a very important moment in my career because the Brazilian team had never won the gold before. It was a commentary that I am very proud of. I really gave it my heart. The golden goal. It was like the Icelandic commentator during the last Euros. Easy, Paulo. There's only one Kudmundur Benediction. We have heard from a lot of male commentators so far. So what about women? Cass Neidu 
became the first regular female cricket commentator in South Africa. She was 27 at the time and has become a regular fixture on the national broadcaster SABC. When I was 14 years old in 1992, I was walking past the television and I heard this incredible West Indian accent talking cricket and I thought, what is this? This is exciting. Lambert has hit this high in the air. He should be out now. Headley's coming under it and will take the catch. Yes, he does. He falls in the process. And it was Donna Simmons. It was her voice that I'd heard. And I found that I was watching cricket for the rest of the day. And uh, at the close of play, I went to my mom and I said, that's it. I'm going to be South Africa's first female cricket commentator. Firstly, my mom tried to convince me not to do it. She said, it's really a ridiculous dream. There are no black people that are involved in cricket at that time. And now, as a woman, you want to go in there. It's virtually impossible. So for the next 11 years, I just worked really, really hard um, at talking about cricket. I I held a brush in my hand and I commentated in front of the mirror. Firstly, I had to believe that holding this brush in my hand meant that I was holding a mic in my hand. And then, of course, when Donna Simmons' voice uh, came on, I would repeat what she said. Nobody believed I could do it, and I think that was the reason why I needed to just keep going. Well, Kakisa Rabada is really coming to his own in this Newlands Test match. He's uh, bold with the kind of energy Ray Jennings has spoken about, but also he's backed himself really well. They've used the ball well this morning. They've used the conditions, and look at the commitment. When the actual bout starts, it's usually over in a matter of seconds. Torrance Simmons, originally from Nottingham in the UK, has been commentating on sumo wrestling in Japan for over 24 years. The first producer we had was a hired man from outside. And uh, there's a a Japanese-English word, a happening. A happening is any strange event that makes you go, oh. And he called me happening in Ojoa summer, the happening queen, which he very carefully modified. He said, there isn't a happening every time she's on, but if there's a happening, she's on. She is now 84. I don't think in terms of keeping going. I, I think in terms of not stopping when I can still do it. It's very nice to be still very much in the game. Okay, let's get a roundup of the sports news now with Sarah Orchard and uh, once again, fans heading to Wembley, Sarah. Yes, thank you, Riz. Earlier this week, Wembley was the second... I didn't think that it was a career path for me at all. It wasn't until I was sat in my office when my boss turned around to me and said, I need a rugby commentator this weekend. Sarah, can you do it? That I even considered that that was an option. And I sort of went, really, me? Can I do that? And he was like, well, of course you can. And I thought about it, and he's right. I'm I'm a qualified rugby union referee. I'm a qualified coach. Why can't I commentate on it? Sarah Orchard became the first woman to be a lead TV commentator on an international rugby union match. We actually purposely didn't want to make a big announcement about me doing the England-Fiji match, being the first woman to do it. Because sometimes you are just attracting attention that perhaps otherwise you don't need. The response to it, from my point of view, was incredibly positive. My social media timelines absolutely filled up uh, with wonderful messages from people saying, oh, so fantastic to hear a different voice. Uh, My daughter loved listening to you. And all of the big names currently in Rugby Union, they were all so supportive and wonderful. 
one newspaper decided to write up a story saying that I had received lots of uh, abuse uh, online. Yeah, there was the odd comment out there, but they cherry-picked the comments that they wanted to make a story. One of the best comments I got, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying it, was I was uh, directly messaged by Matthew Pinson, and he said, I just wanted to say, Sarah, I watched the match with my boys, and whilst I was watching with them, I asked them what do you think is historic about this match? And apparently these two young boys reeled off a list of, is it record tries? Um, is it a record score line? Didn't occur to either of these two young boys that it was a woman commentating. And clearly there is a generation that will come through now and they won't even bat an eyelid when they hear a woman's voice. So 90 years after the first football league commentary by the BBC at Highbury in England, where does sports commentary sit in the 21st century? When you hear the commentary, it enhances the whole experience. When the sound goes down, it's frustrating. You feel as if there's something missing. I might be biased, but whether you use the internet, social media or other technologies, I don't think anything can ever really replace the power and emotion expressed by a human being in the heat. I think commentary uh, and really great commentators, their ability to hold your attention is incredible. And social media enhances what you see on TV, what you hear on radio. I think commentary will survive. Can a computer, 140 characters or algorithm really replace this? You've been listening to Talking Sport, 90 years of commentary with me, Gudmundur Benediktsson. It was a Made in Manchester production for the BBC World Service. Joy 99.7 FM What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 
modesty, I'm clear, crystal clear, quality pictures, you can't compare. Philly, 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 how you be seeing? Philly, 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 how you be seeing? Philly, Philly. Feely, feely, they see I'm feely, feely. <laughs> HD Plus gives you control to search, pause, reverse, and record your favorite shows. Now, when you download the My HD Plus app on your mobile and link it to your HD Plus decoder, you get free data to watch TV on the go every month. Visit any multi-TV dealer or Electroland outlet to purchase an HD Plus decoder at a limited offer of 99 Ghana CDs, 99 pesos, and stay in control of your TV viewing. HD Plus, enjoy them, feely, feely. Six school children died in Bremen Jamera four years ago when their school block collapsed on them. Many others are still studying under weak structures across the country. The building, sometimes when someone just hits his hands on the wall, you see that the hall is shaking. And someone will say, hey, it's going to collapse, so it's going to... Then he tries to get out of the class. This should not happen again. Give for Change. The Classroom Project is brought to you by the Multimedia Group with support from the Star Ghana Foundation. For all your support and assistance, mobile money transactions should go to 0593-038-832 with account name JoyFM or to the Access Bank account number 009-010-105. 4191 Castle Road Branch. The branch code is 009 and the swift code ABNJJHAC. You may also reach us at our front desk for further inquiries on the number 0302 216 540. Give for change. Wow, wow, wow. Hope you have heard oh, Rent to Own, now in Ghana. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.